I'm Christina Rea, and welcome to Breaking Out of Breaking In, a practical filmmaking podcast about taking your creative career into your own hands, breaking down all the things that are holding you back, and making great work that gets seen without playing the Hollywood game. Or at least while changing the rules. I'm Brie Castellini, your other co-host, and today uh, we are introducing ourselves. I <laughs> apparently copied and pasted the intro from our episode that's coming out in two weeks, our official first episode. So that's where we're starting out, folks. Brie fucked up the intro, and that's who I am. That's a great look at just being a filmmaker in general. It's a lot of fucking up in the beginning. Totally. And it's also about, you know, just going with it. This is now my thing. So before we get into who the hell we are and what the hell this podcast is, who who are we to start yet another podcast? If you'd like to suggest a topic for this podcast, if you'd like to send us a compliment or, or maybe a salve for my fuck up at the beginning here, uh, if you'd like to ask us a question about anything big or small or otherwise get in touch, you can hit us up on Twitter or Instagram at breakingoutpod or via email breaking out of breaking in pod at gmail.com that's right so uh let's talk about the podcast itself first christina sure one of the things that we're really striving for is doling out practical advice if you walk away from an episode without something to do or the tools to make a decision we have failed Yep. And like maybe just like be cool about it if that happens, but also encourage us with like what would you have liked to learn if we didn't give you enough practical takeaways? Or if you have further questions, hey, maybe we'll do a part two. We're open to it. There's no structure to this podcast. I <laughs> fucked up the intro on the intro episode. So, you know, anything goes. But <laughs> if you take nothing else away from this podcast in general, it should be some kind of practical advice. That's right. And we want to be really specific about topics. I think that when I listen to other filmmaking podcasts, it's a lot of just general information and guests often will just kind of talk about the latest thing that they're working on. It's like it's like a sort of look into, you know, a portrait piece of a filmmaker. And what I think Mm -hmm. we're more interested in is the how, like, how did they get to this point? What tools are they using? And also just transparency, like let's be real about where we're all starting. What are our, you know, already existing access points, you know, because that's, this is not a meritocracy, right, that we're working in. It's it's a fucked up system. (laughs) And I think that we just want to bring some more transparency to that to talk about how can you get an audience and get to an audience and get your work seen without having to work within the system that isn't built for most people. That's probably you, because I know it's not built for me or Brie. No, it is definitely not. And so with that, we're also definitely going to be covering, quote unquote, the industry, because both the mainstream industry and the indie one have a lot of facets that are good, are bad, are ugly, and we intend to cover them all. So sometimes we might go like really traditional for an episode and talk about, I don't know, the PA system or writer assistantships and stuff like that and sometimes we might be talking really like you know ground floor stuff about building a team and you know finding red flags when you're hiring and when you're working with people so we but we we do intend to try and cover the wholeness of this weird thing that we've all decided to try and make money at that almost no one makes money at (laughs) and break it open for ourselves as well as for you i think that what this podcast could be is maybe us processing a lot of that like the the dream that we have with the reality of what it actually is and who it's really made for 
and also hopefully some inspiration of how you can you can maybe try and like keep one foot in each each you know side here and and not completely let go of making like a lateral move but not waiting for the system Big to, break yeah exactly and not and not like waiting for the system to sort of catch up because that's it's happening but it's happening so slowly and it's totally out of our control exactly the only thing we can control is what we do and that's hopefully the inspiring message that we will impart on you <laughs> and yeah to that end this podcast will also definitely be about our individual creative journeys because you know we're we're gonna sound very doom and gloom in a lot of these episodes especially when we you know are really transparent about what has worked and what hasn't worked and what has worked and hasn't worked for other people but like at the end of the day christina and i love telling stories mm -hmm. like we'll we'll talk about the work that we've made you know when we actually talk about ourselves in this podcast don't you worry folks we will talk about ourselves <laughs> um so like if both of us had the opportunity to be full-time paid filmmakers and that might look a little different for each of us but not all that different we would absolutely do that and throughout this podcast we will be making moves i'm moving to los angeles in a couple of months and Christina is staying in New York and both of those have implications for what the rest of our careers looks like. And both of us have our own like strategies in mind and we will be open about that. We will talk about why we make decisions, why I think that moving to a place that is mostly on fire right now <laughs> is a better decision than staying at this place place that I'm at currently you know like we'll if you're curious about why we've made decisions we are going to do our best to be as transparent as possible because the only way that any of us are going to get out of this system alive is to help each other out yeah I also want to say that you know we're not just like people who love telling stories and are you know pissed off about the system not <laughs> working for us I think that we're both good examples of people who have been able to build an audience for our stories that we want to tell and we've been able to keep telling them, right? And and continuing to build an audience. And so we'll, we'll talk a little bit about like our own work and our own accomplishments and what makes us qualified to give you advice. Um, <laughs> but that that's a big part of it too, is like you don't have to accept that not playing the game means not making work and not reaching people. You you can sort of change the system by not working within it. And, and part of that is just like, finding the people who want to see what you want to make and making sure that you continue engaging them with every new project. And we're going to talk about all of that deeper. Totally. Yeah, we're going to talk about success and the fact that it looks different to everyone. It looks different between the two of us to a certain extent. And we part of like what really brought me around to the podcast name being Breaking Out of Breaking In was reminding myself that like when I say, oh, I want to be as successful as this person, I don't want to do a lot of stuff that that person has done because mm -hmm. like the metrics for success are totally different based on what you actually want to be doing. And Christina and I think generally agree that we don't think that working fully within the system looks like success for us because if you sell your soul along the way, what can you bring to the stories you want to tell? It's going to be a little bit of grappling with that of like the mindset of okay, we want a career. To a certain extent, we need to break in, but to a certain extent, fuck breaking in. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at most people who have gotten into the industry, and I kind of, I don't want to like 
point out people specifically they're people I'm I'm a fan of but when I think of certain filmmakers who were like just starting to make Hollywood films that started in the indie world they made beautiful original incredibly compelling works of art and now they're making superhero sequels <laughs> and just a lot of franchise stuff and maybe in 10 years they'll get to get back to telling the stories they actually want to tell but right now in order to to get what looks like the dream, they are regurgitating what Hollywood thinks sells, which is maybe true because like when you think about theaters and what people go to see at the movies and what they're willing to spend on a film, it is not, you know, it is not that like middle comedy, <laughs> like, you know, the, the or, or drama. It's, it's a big franchise spectacle type of thing, not to hate on those films, but that's not what I want to do with my career. So it's kind of like, what does the dream that I have in my head exist anymore in the current iteration of the industry? No, it doesn't. So what am I actually pursuing if I'm trying to work within the system? I'm, I'm going to end up with an end result that isn't actually what I'm hoping for. And so the only way to get what I want is to try and work against the system a little bit, you know? Uh, yeah, I just want to jump in really quickly and say, if anyone is listening, please let me do your franchises. I will regurgitate as much as you want. That's the line in the sand that I'm drawing. Christina is too principled. I am not. I will sell out <laughs> in an instant. So if you have the money to let me sell out, by all means, send me an email, breakingoutofbreakinginpod at gmail.com. I mean, that's fine. Like, I, <laughs> I think that that goes to show though that success looks different to different people right and it's like what are your goals really and if spending 10 or 15 years making regurgitated crap feels worth it to on the other side of it get to make what you want to make then great if it doesn't though and that's at least the case for me especially in a system where it's like executives make all the decisions so like directing is not really directing it's just what little touches can I add here that will make it sort of my own because the studio has told me that I have to do these things and I can't cast, you know, this amount of people of color in one scene because that's just you're not going to sit well with white people and I have to deal with like being sexually harassed and silenced in meetings and all of that. Like those are the things that, that are strings attached, right, to, to the world. Not to say that, again, it, it couldn't be worth it for the autonomy and for the agency and the budget that you get at the end of it. <laughs> but yeah, I I think it's, again, redefining success and, and sort of understanding that it's so much about your goals and that not everyone's goals are the same. So looking at someone's success and saying, I want that and not knowing what actually went into that, what was the motivation to get there, what they were working towards, and maybe what they had to sacrifice to get there. I think that that's like short-sighted, right? And so so totally. we're hoping to crack that open for you a little. Yeah, I, I really want to now get really specific. Christina, who the hell are you? <laughs> you mean as a filmmaker, you want to know about like my whole life story? I don't know. What do you, what do you want me to know? Pretend that I've never met you and haven't followed you around for the last five years. <laughs> well, I'm a filmmaker. I, I like to consider myself a writer, director, and producer out of necessity. You know, reluctant producer because no one was knocking on my door saying they wanted to tell my stories. So I had to figure that all out on my own. But the moment someone allows me to drop that hat, I am happy to take it off and drop it. I do run a production company called Congested Cat Productions that came about because... 
I started crowdfunding very early for my first short and then eventually my first feature in 2011-2012 and I needed to incorporate and and put that money somewhere um, and it eventually kind of like became a brand that I was like well I'm making enough stuff and I have some collaborators I've met in school so let's all be under this one umbrella. I, mo I mainly focus on uh, horror and comedy. I often mix the two. I'm very much about exploring social structures, social issues sometimes through the lens of genre. Um, I think that that's like a really great way to bridge gaps to kind of get people to have conversations that they're maybe not willing to do in a literal way. Um, I think if you can make people laugh together, you can find some unity and get them talking. I think that I just love, I love movies and I love genre movies because that's what I grew up watching. In terms of my career, you know, I've made two features at this point. I've made a web series and over a dozen shorts. I'm not good at talking about my success, right? I'm not good at like... <laughs> Why not? Is it because you think it feels like bragging? Yeah, it does. It just feels, well, it also like, for me, there's no defining moment and there's no defining project. I am most excited about my latest thing always. I only kind of want to talk to you about like Game Brunch, right? My latest short, but no <laughs> one's even seen it yet. So, you know. I've seen it. It's very good. I read the script before it was shot and I was like, it's like you took it out of my brain, but did it in your way and I love it. This is exactly what I want to see. Thank you. Well, yeah, I, I'm always most excited about the latest thing. That is my latest short that I shot in November of 2019. But I have another short on the circuit right now called Affliction. It's very timely, I would say. And I didn't write it. I directed it and produced it. Kelsey Rauber wrote it. And it's such a creative approach to talking about a sensitive, difficult subject. It's consent. Spoiler alert, that's the subject. I am getting into festivals that I haven't gotten into before. It kind of feels like a, a step up in terms of industry recognition. I'm winning some awards, but it's also like whatever, you know, it's all, it's all kind of I, something that I've learned making so many projects and I've been working for the past, I would say nine years, like professionally, at least, you know, outside of school is that it doesn't last like the latest <laughs> success, the latest success, it kind of disappears unless you maintain the momentum yourself and you make the next thing. But when I think about like my web series, we made a web series in 2013. It was pretty early. It was kind of like the summer that everyone started making web series. But I think that was perfect timing for us because it was before literally everyone was making web series sure um so we got a lot of momentum we were on buzzfeed we were on like the homepage of buzzfeed for a while we were an indiewire critics pick that year we ended up in the three months that we released episodes we had over 250,000 views we were on a platform that has now disappeared blip.tv uh, but on there <laughs> we were making a little bit of ad revenue it was like it was like, oh, this is something. There's going to be momentum here. And everyone was like writing to us, wanting to write about our series, wanting to review our series. But it was fleeting. Once we were done releasing episodes and we had taken a little bit of a break and then we're coming out with new projects, we weren't like the hot new thing anymore. So no one wanted to write sure. about us anymore. Um, <laughs> and, and so that's something that I've learned that you really have to try and make the most of the moment because for me, it's a marathon. 
you know, it's not like I'm trying to get my big break. I'm just trying to tell the, the story that I want to tell right now. So yeah, and then in terms of uh, in terms of how I pay my bills, I think that's important to mention. I am an instructor. I teach workshops on distribution, on crowdfunding. I was hired by Seed and Spark in 2016 because of my own crowdfunding success and started as a as a crowdfunding specialist, which is what Brie is uh, now. Mm -hmm. And then I was, I started teaching a whole bunch and then became the head of education. And that's really like how I, how I make a living is kind of being adjacent to the industry where I, where sure. I teach and consult and speak on panels and try and just get money where I can. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, same. Like we we kind of worked in a lot of the same circles before actually like working together. Because yeah, I now work at Seed and Spark doing crowdfunding feedback as a campaign specialist, and um, I'm also the film community manager, which doesn't mean anything. If you want me to list all the things I do there, uh, I did in our document. I will not actually go through all of the things, but like something that I've learned as I have worked in all of these ancillary media startups that like circle the drain of the film industry, but aren't technically making money making films I've learned that like job titles are meaningless and <laughs> the only way to get ahead is to just meet a lot of people like the only reason I have my current job is because I knew Christina the only reason I got my last job is because I was extremely extra on Twitter and went to a bunch of meetups the only reason I got the job before that is because I told everybody at my internship at MTV that I wanted to do web series and I wanted to work in digital development and so then I got my job at MTV for a couple of years like because I had just <laughs> made a big stink because I managed to get one internship in the research department. No one in that department was making stuff. Nobody in that department um, in 2015 and the, at the media department or the research department at MTV, none of them actually aspired to be filmmakers at any, in any way, maybe one or two of them did, but like they were research people, they were analysts. They, you know, looked at data and trends and helped make recommendations about like what new buzzwords should they use in awkward that week. And that was like all I was doing. But then because I made a big stink there while I was making my first web series brains, they were like, oh, when you are done with your internship, let us give us your resume and we'll we'll poke around because obviously MTV does a lot of digital development stuff. And as a result, uh, on the last day of graduate school, like literally the day that we were doing our graduation parties for my graduate school program, I got an email from the guy who ran digital development at MTV and was like, hey, somebody passed me your resume. You seem like perfect for this job that we're looking to create can you come in for a meeting? And it was because I just put into the universe, I want to do this thing. And I worked there for nine months and we will certainly talk about it at some point because definitely not what I expected, but you know, I learned a lot from that. And I learned a lot about what the traditional industry looks like from the inside and learned that I don't think this is for me. <laughs> and uh, from there, I took that experience and that, you know, frustration and all of that kind of stuff. And I started working in media startups and media startups have their own issues. But I am very grateful that I make a living getting to at least talk to filmmakers mm -hmm. <laughs> and talk about film and, you know, do things like teach like Christina does. Like I'm in addition to being an instructor at Seed and Spark, I also am an adjunct professor at two different graduate programs, um, two MFA programs for screenwriting and writing and producing for television. And I actually really love that. I love teaching. I love talking about all the ways that I fucked up my life and how the next generation doesn't have to. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I have found a lot of like joy doing that, which I never expected. And I still, I'm not 
my grandmother will be furious when she hears this, but I do not intend to be a full-time teacher ever. I don't, (laughs) that's not my path. I don't want to do that. But I like having like a side hustle teaching. Yeah. I also think we need good teachers. I I went to film school, which we're going to talk about on the first episode. A lot of my teachers, I feel like we're just bitter about not being able to just be filmmakers full-time. And a lot of them were not even currently making stuff and so they were teaching me this really old model of how the industry works and it and it so much wasn't tangible so anyway that was just a long-winded way of saying that I think it's important that people like you and I who are really trying to keep making things also are teachers are teaching the next generation of filmmakers to some degree totally yeah no I I definitely I definitely agree with that. Can I also, I want to hear more about your filmmaking, but can I also just say that something that (laughs) I really want to do on this podcast, and I'm saying it now so that you can hold us to it, is asking guests, every time we have a guest, if they don't explicitly state it themselves, we ask them how they're paying their bills. (laughs) Because it's something I find everyone dances around. And I remember I was in the Artist Academy of the Film Society of Lincoln Center for the New York Film Festival in 2018. It's like a thing that you have to be nominated for and then you get to spend a week during the festival just hearing from industry people. And it's all like confidential, so I can't even really necessarily talk about the things that were said. But it's it's your ability to have candid one-on-ones or rather small group on one interviews with people that are in the industry but are like indie industry right and that was the question I asked every single one of them and some of them told me and some of them didn't but my biggest takeaway always is that I don't know a single person making a living off of their actual work like the revenue from their work or paying themselves within the budget enough for the amount of years they spend on a project like even if you pay yourself as a director It's probably for the days on set, but you are with that film for five years, right? Like, again, the thing that I want to get to is we are teachers. That's how, or like in some realm we're teaching, that is how we are making a living while pursuing our filmmaking career. I think that that is a pretty common thing. If you're not a teacher, you're a, uh, a person who has a technical skill that gets hired by other things like editing. A lot of people I know edit for reality TV, especially because we're in New York. Uh, cinematography is another big one because those are hireable technical skills and then the other one is just like freelance you freelance maybe do some commercial mm-hmm. work but yeah. you're generally or copywriting or yeah. copy editing if you're a script writer yeah so so that's something that I really want to talk about is just like every guest we have on here let's get to the to the real here like how are you actually paying your bills while you're pursuing this bigger thing that you're that you want to do totally yeah I technically have four jobs right now I, uh, so I work for Seed and Spark as my full-time job. And then I te- I'm an adjunct at two different programs. Actually, after Christina and I finished recording our podcast today, I have to grade eight students, uh, pitch Bibles for their senior thesis project. So I'm looking forward to that on my Saturday in September. And I also right now am freelancing for my former job, uh, at a company called Starable, which is an audience building platform for web series creators. Uh, I left that job last year, but they do a yearly festival and they, they haven't 
replaced my specific role yet at the company. And so I, I decided to step in again to, to freelance a little bit to help them with like their festival programming and their panel programming and some just like logistical stuff. Cause I, my role at the company was basically the token filmmaker. Like that company is made up of like engineers and designers and people who are like tangential and like, like television, but don't actually like make it. And so I, my role was to be like the voice of the consumer, the voice of the people. Um, and so I'm, I'm kind of freelancing in that role now. So yeah, so I have four jobs, but I'm also on the side. I sometimes pick up like one-off teaching gigs that pay like an honorarium or something, um, you know, before COVID it is COVID times. I guess we haven't technically mentioned that in this episode yet. Uh, I, sometimes I would get like tra a travel stipend and like a small speaking fee to do like panels and stuff like that. Uh, sometimes I still do like freelance voiceover and will occasionally step in there. So yeah, like I... It, at any time, I have between four and six jobs that I'm working. And yeah, I, it's a lot. I also want to add, again, New York Film Festival Artists Academy. One thing that we should definitely talk about is a lot of those people, and, and I do want to stress that these are like filmmakers who are nominated for Academy Awards pretty regularly and Indie Spirit Awards, if not both. Um, the answer that most were unwilling to give is that they have a spouse that has uh, a very stable, very well-off income that is not in the industry, or they come from the industry. Their parents, sure. you know, like they, they're living off of not their own income. And so again, mm -hmm. it's just like transparency. Let's talk about how, how this is not a meritocracy and it is so much about who often has the access and the time to put in. Uh, because yeah. because capitalism, right? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. No, it's it's definitely a thing. I I didn't unfortunately pay attention to that too much before I met my partner, and he's <laughs> not going to ever make any money. And honestly, such a waste. <laughs> like, I love him, I guess, but <sighs> <laughs> but yeah, no, we'll get into that too. Like, we'll talk about our own our own stories. Will come up a lot in the episode. Mm -hmm. So yeah, should we talk about our identities really quick? Because like this is a, a, a non visual medium. And so it, it might not be immediately evident what our you know, our quotas are. Sure. I mean, <laughs> mine isn't evident if you even do see me. <laughs> so a little bit about me, my my mom was born in Trinidad. She's Indo Trinidadian. She came to Queens when she was 14. Um, and I grew up with a single mom. That is her. However, I also had <laughs> an Italian father, which is why I look the way I look. I don't look Indo-Trinidadian only. But that's like a thing that I wrestle with, which is like I don't identify with my father's side because I wasn't raised with him. But it undeniably affects like how people perceive me, how I walk through life, my name. Um, and so, so yeah, that's my backstory. No access to the industry whatsoever. My mom, you know, worked a full-time job and multiple part-time jobs my whole life and I was just a kid who loved movies I grew up very much a little bit of a latchkey kid because my mom worked so much you know she I have an older brother so like he was kind of the babysitter and wasn't much of a babysitter so mm -hmm. the tv raised me you know and so mm -hmm. uh not to say that my mom didn't raise me because she's a wonderful mother but um I watched too much television and I watched a lot of horror movies, a lot of sitcoms and like comedies that were 
maybe more raunchy than my age range, but all of that shaped kind of all the things that I love and what I make. And yeah, you know, I started writing when I was five, didn't know what directing was, but here I am because it just was a thing in me that wouldn't die. That's kind of the, the base of my identity, I suppose. What about you, Brie? So um, my identity is also not necessarily evident. I identify as bi and asexual, and that will certainly come up. Uh, it has come up a lot in my work, especially more recently. I have frequently said that, especially once I realized that asexuality was a thing and it was a thing that I was, I like to say that all of my sexual desire that I don't feel has gotten channeled into romantic desire. So mm -hmm. like, I, I love very easily and very intensely. And that hopefully comes through in a lot of my work, even the works that aren't explicitly about romantic relationships. I am driven by very like intense interpersonal relationships. I love people who love each other. Like Christina knows this about me. My, my big turn on in anything is ride or die couples, people who are just like, I am on your team. So that's, that's my thing. Um, and who knows how much of that comes from my own, you know, repressed lack of sexuality and how much of it comes from just like the media I consumed as a kid. But I guess we'll never know. Um, my parents were physical therapists, so they were not artistic people by any means. They were in the sciences. I, I grew up in Grand Junction, Colorado, which is a place that you've never heard of, except for if you watched the Supernatural pilot where they remark, oh, we're driving through Grand Junction right now. They're not. There's too many trees around. There are no trees in Grand Junction, Colorado. <laughs> It is a desert. It is Utah. And so, yeah, I had no connection to the industry. I didn't even know I was going to be a filmmaker. My like I used to make little videos when YouTube was a thing. I became a YouTuber on a you know very small scale. But I grew up not watching TV very much. I was a, I was the book kid. Mm. And I my aspiration was I was going to be a novelist and a barista, because mm. even as like a 12 year old, I was like, I'm not going to make money from novelist at first. Of course, I'll get wildly famous eventually. But at first, I love coffee shops. I love coffee. So I'll be a barista who at the end of my shift will go out into the cafe area and write my novel. And that was my plan. Um, and that was my plan up until the end of my college career where I, uh, I didn't study film at all. I took, I think, one film class. I studied creative writing from like a novel and poetry focus. And then I listened to a podcast called the, it used to be called the Nerdist Writers Panel. Now I think it's just called the Writers Panel Podcast where they interviewed like TV writers about their work, about their careers. And I was like, oh shit, that's, not, that's the thing I want to do. Because I kept getting notes from like my thesis advisor who would say like, Brie, your writing is so funny. I love all of the voices. Like everyone has such a distinct voice, but it's like they're talking in a dark room. Where are they? What does anything look like? And I was like, I don't care. I just want to have funny conversations <laughs> with the invisible people in my head. And then as I was listening to people talk about like screenwriting, I was like, oh, that could be somebody else's job because I don't want to do that. I just want to write dialogue and tell stories. So it, it sort of was like a natural fit to what I was already kind of doing with my prose writing and uh, and I made the switch. I went to grad school and we will definitely talk about that transition next episode. But yeah, that's kind of my story is I was a, I was a writer for a long time, novels wise. I wrote, technically I have seven complete novels. None of them are good, but they do exist <laughs> and are complete and are 50,000 words or more. So they count, NaNoWriMo. So I was going to say, how many films and series do you have like as a filmmaker? Yeah, so of things that I... 
was the primary on. So the things that I wrote, I have written two web series, each with two seasons. I have written two short films or written or and co-written two short films. Um, and then I've done a bunch of like producing and directing work elsewhere, uh, mostly producing work, much to my devastation because my IMDb <laughs> page lists me as a producer and I'm furious. But, you know, when like, like with what Christina said, like when you make your own work, you kind of are producer by default. And so anytime I make something new, my producer list gets longer and I can't change it. So yeah. <laughs> if anyone wants to hire a writer or director, please, God, do that and don't let me be a producer so that I can bulk up my IMDb in the way <laughs> that I actually want to identify. I have the same problem because... My production company was originally like everything that we put out was just my own directing stuff, but I had collaborators who whose work I loved as a writer um, and they would always work on my stuff. And so eventually I had to and also was happy to, uh, you know, pay them back by by helping to produce their own stuff. And then like considering we already had a brand that we built under for my work their stuff would go out through my my production company. And so now I just have like so many producing credits. It's just gotten out of hand and I don't think I'll ever catch up unless I literally can stop producing my own films for like the next 10. Yeah. I mean, but you're not, neither of us are ever going to stop producing our own films. Right, like, that's we'll, true. If we create it, we'll always be the executive producer. That's right. And honestly, I say that as someone who has a really, really hard time relinquishing control. So like mm-hmm. I say I want it, but then <laughs> if you try and, you know, not keep me informed about what's going on on the producer level I would probably just be a bad director because I'd be very distracted by what I don't know you know yeah I think we're very similar (laughs) in a lot of ways which is maybe why we were we're, we I think we have chemistry and I think that we were drawn to do this podcast together because we see a lot of ourselves in each other Um, so it'll be kind of like fun to really dissect some of the ways that we're we're different and how our different experiences inform a lot of the topics that we're going to talk about. Totally. Yeah, I, I think so too. And like, obviously there's a lot more to get to know about us, about our the specific projects we've talked about and the specific things that we've worked on and other like ancillary work experiences. But I don't think we need to get into all of that today. I think that that'll naturally come out yep. for, you know, over the course of the next few episodes. So anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? No, just that... You know, let us know what you want to know, because we want to we want to share. We want to inform. Yeah, definitely. We're, we're all learning together. Cool. Well, thanks for listening. And thanks so much to Kelsey Rauber for our theme music and Kaylee Brown for our podcast art. And of course, to all of you for listening, you can find more about Kelsey at KelseyRauber.com and more of Kaylee at KayleeChristina.com. Links are in our episode description. And since this is our first episode, this is my first reminder that you should subscribe and rate us five stars because it actually really does help us out. We will be dropping new episodes every other Thursday. So stay tuned and subscribe so that you are automatically reminded because I know that every other Thursday means nothing to me anymore. (laughs) I, every day is the same. What day is it today? Who knows? So definitely subscribe. It'll help out with that. And next episode, so our first official episode of Breaking Out of Breaking In is going to be about film school, breaking down uh, our own individual film school experiences, what we thought was good, what we thought was bad, and everything in between. So until next time, thanks so much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.